Are you ready? Always. Let's do it. Thank you for joining us on The Change Artist, where we bring our listeners stories and great advice for leading and following through change from business leaders who are making a difference in their organizations. I'm your host, Alyssa Cox, and here on The Change Artist, our motto is, if change is the only constant in life, then let's do it better. So let's jump right in. Matt, how do you define social change? Look, I, I define social change as seeing a problem, seeing something that's going on in the world and actually doing something about it. And in my case, it was seeing poverty and exploitation and being able to see what was causing it, which was lack of money and being able to do something about it by starting to build a business that created jobs and gave, gave people options rather than the rather than going down the, the exploitation route that could actually go and, and sustain themselves. That's great. And we're going to dig into that. Now, for those of you who don't know him, Matt Boyle is the CEO and founder of Online to Offline, a company dedicated to helping businesses increase their lead generation activities, optimize their sales conversions, and maximize their profits. And he's here to talk to us about his experience driving social change through for-profit enterprise. So you mentioned identifying root causes, right? Seeing something, diagnosing the problem, and then doing something about it. Give me a little bit of the backstory on your involvement in the community, your involvement in social change. How did you get to where you are? Because my understanding is you haven't always been involved in social enterprise. No, no, no. For the most part of my life, I was driven by money and driven by growth and all of the stuff that we're taught to, you know, as entrepreneurs, we're taught to sort of strive for. And, you know, that, that was certainly rewarding on a financial sense, but, you know, it just wasn't fulfilling. And, you know, I was I was training salespeople and you know, spending most of my days dealing with people that didn't want my help. And, you know, we'd, do, we'd, we'd come up with the, the most audacious excuses not to be in the training room and not to receive my help from there. So that's kind of where I was. And I and I said we had for a fleeting moment Australia's biggest automotive training company. So we had four offices around Australia. And I met someone that worked with the Thai immigration police. And he just started sharing stories with me about his work over in Thailand and the families that he was, you know, he was helping and some of the the women and the children he was rescuing and and also some of the women and children he wasn't able to rescue and what 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 happened to him and it just the more he started sharing his his world the more i wanted to to see it and wanted to to be involved in it so i convinced him to take me on a trip to thailand and i spent three weeks with him and his team over in thailand involved in rescuing women out of brothels and kids out of brothels and seeing firsthand the the depravity which is sexual slavery and, and exploitation and it just changed me that, that 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 was the options for people and that was the only the only option was to borrow money from someone that they knew they couldn't pay back go and take a job where they knew they were going to get entrapped or in some cases parents rent their kids out to to traffickers and to be exploited and they were doing that because they needed the money to survive and it was just heartbreaking and so how did you go from observing social crisis to developing a for-profit enterprise to try to solve some of these problems? So it wasn't an overnight light bulb moment type of thing. It was a gradual journey that as I kept looking into the, the problems, everyone that I spoke to and everyone that got caught up in this world 
got caught up because they needed money and they got a, a promise a job that didn't exist they took a job that you they shouldn't take they borrowed money they they just you know money was the driver and the desperation for money was the driver that caused them in on that and so i started looking about how i can impact them i started donating money to causes and you know that was that was great but it was also creating the situation that I was giving my mortgage money to go and help. So it was actually affecting us financially. I was giving too much and my wife had to tap me on the shoulder and say, we've got to do something different because, you know, we've got six kids, we need to feed them. So there was that problem that what I was doing wasn't sustainable from a business point of view and from a personal point of view. And then as I kept looking into the solutions, I kept going, well, you know, just donating money doesn't actually solve the problem because that's preaching, you know, breeding dependence that they need the donations to be able to keep running. And if I can't do that, then I can't support them. So I was looking at education, you know, and there's some some amazing organizations that teach entrepreneurism and teach, you know, teach business skills into to these communities. But as I was looking at that as well, I was going, the problem is there's no money in the community. And if there's no money in the community, no matter how good a business you are, you're never going to get money because your market doesn't have any any money. So it doesn't actually solve the real problem. And then I'm sitting on my business and going, I'm spending all of my days training people and, you know, doing all this stuff and businesses were paying very, very good, good money, you know, to get out training, but the salespeople weren't actually doing it. So, you know, I've gone, well, there's a problem here on the business front that businesses aren't optimizing their sales process. They're not getting the best results because their salespeople aren't doing the work, don't want to do it, don't have the time to do it. And there's this other problem of, these communities around the world of people that are desperate for money. And I went, well, if I can just figure out how to automate and outsource all of these steps in the process that I'm training businesses, I can actually solve the problem on a business front in a more effective way that businesses would actually get a better outcome from the money they're spending with us because the work that needs to get done will get done more consistently at a higher volume. So we're solving that problem. And then I can actually just go create jobs, train these people in these communities, how to actually do these tasks and do it. So I could actually put foreign money into the into the community, create jobs, you know, start to build a culture of independence and freedom that they can, you know, do this for themselves. And the only way to do that was through a, a, a for-profit enterprise because, you know, it needed those, those kind of the, the benchmarks of having a great product, you know, that delivered on great outcomes and, and had, had profit and had good management to be able to come in place. And it just happened to just happened to fit that way. So you talked about sort of the unsustainability of donation alone. What should we be doing as we start to look at the social causes that make a difference to us, the social challenges that make a difference to us? And how do we think about differentiating between root cause and symptom? Well, for, for me personally, the first thing was removing judgment. You know, like I needed to kind of just be able to look at what was really happening and why it was really happening without the judgment of, you know, I've been I've been raised in Australia, so we've been I've been raised in quite a privileged country. So I had to kind of just look at go, if I was in that circumstances, what would I do? And so removing that kind of judgment and just looking at things as they really are for them and for you know for those that we want to change, and then really kind of spending the time to uncover why they have to make that decision and why they had to do that, why they felt that was the only only option. And as I kind of peeled that back, that's where it got back to me. The root cause was 
not that they were, you know, greedy, but they were desperate. And they were desperate because they were desperately trying to cling on to the ways of, of what they'd grown up with, which they grew up without money and not needing money. They was in the barter system and all that stuff. The West has overtaken them. And now they're caught in this world where they just don't know what to do. They've got no background knowledge or understanding, or there's no there's, there's no elders being able to say, "Well, go, you know, go do this and go do that." They just did, follow the easiest path. So, you know, that's how I kind of uncovered the the root cause was just just being curious and sort of without judgment, and you know, just keep talking and looking and investigating until you kind of hit the hit the top of the tree and go, "That's it." Yeah. And I like how you talk about talking to people that are closest to the problem. And it's not just in Thailand, talking to the people who are closest to the problem so that you can hear what's actually happening as opposed to making assumptions, but you're also using leveraging your experience in business and getting close to the actual problems in business to try to solve those problems as well. That takes a lot of empathy on both lines of investigation. What are some things and some some advice that you can give to our listeners around tapping into that empathy to see past some of our perhaps our going in assumptions or our going in biases? Well, the, the the first thing is is we we need to be able to kind of just completely detach any expectations. You know, so many people that have great intentions that go in and go into a community and want to do do some great work, but they go in with the expectations of this is how we're going to solve the problem. And, you know, that can actually create other problems that actually, you know, might not have the impact at once. So the more I was kind of investigating, the more I kind of realised that, hey, I know nothing. And I've got to kind of just completely detach myself from any expectations and any outcomes because, you know, the big thing for me is I didn't want to come in with the Messiah complex of going, I'm here to solve the world's problems. It was that that curiosity and you know looking at that 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 came to that that conclusion and then as I was building the business and building the centres I had to be very understanding of the local culture and kind of go well I need to kind of not run it as a Westerner does I need to run it as a local does and I need to look at what's really important to them and then I need to fit the Western frameworks over over it because I need need to build the business so the business can be profitable. That, that, that was just a journey. It's still something I'm constantly learning as we, you know, as we're now looking at opening our set, second centre and was where we, we kind of continue to grow of, you know, things that for me aren't important, but for our team, are, you know, are vitally important. It's something they celebrate and they they enjoy and go, well, it's, you know, we've got to kind of play in, the, play in their world and then fit their world into our framework, not the other way around. And so what are some of those things that you wouldn't have expected to be important or that we wouldn't typically prioritize in the businesses where we live today, but in fact, were crucially important to motivating the workforce, keeping people engaged, making sure people are fulfilled in the centers that you run in Thailand? The, the biggest thing over there is their, their sense of family. They, they view work you know, as family and their, their work colleagues as family and building that culture around that. So you know, like in the, the West, we'll have team building days and and all of that kind of stuff. But things that over there that the, the team really love, like they, they cherish, is celebrating other successes. We had some tragedy with some of our, our team 
you know, that lost people close to them recently and kind of giving the whole team the the opportunity to, hey, let's just not work today. You know, let's let's go and be in support. And that builds the the loyalty, that builds the drive and they they want to perform, they want to learn, they want to grow. So they they ultimately give us a much better outcome the more we kind of just understand, you know, that for them this is family. So I look at our team and make decisions about what's best for the team based on exactly the same as what I do for, for my family. What would what would my family do in that situation? And yeah, that's been challenging because that often goes against what you would do from a business sense and what you need to go, you know, from business outcomes, it goes completely in the opposite direction. Sure. But it just works. So how do you go about ensuring or think about ensuring the money that you put into your centers and the the revenues that you're pulling in, that money is making the most difference in your target, your target area for social change? Well, we, we we look at our team first. So we look at the people that we're employing through that. And I ultimately want to run my business as inefficiently as possible. So I want to be able to create as many jobs in our community as we can. And I want to be able to pay them fairly. And I want to pay them well. Like I, one of the other kind of mistakes I made early on is try to pay them by Western standards and go, I want to pay them way too much money compared to what they used to. And that created that problem of um, they would just stop rocking up for work and they'll stop stop doing it. So I had to find how I could pay them a good salary and a fair salary that wasn't actually too much and take that extra money and put that back into community projects. It starts with the team because if I'm employing 100 people and all paying them, them fairly, there's that money going into the community every week and they need to spend that money on food and housing and entertainment and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's where the the flow on effects through the greater community starts to starts to actually build. So that's really the, the sort of main focus. Then we kind of look and we, we get our sort of our leaders and the people on the ground that are, you know, in our centre to look at, you know, what other projects can we be involved in on either a short-term basis you know, on a, on a continuous basis. So we get their involvement and contribute funds when necessary. Sometimes we'll contribute some resources, you know, when necessary, sometimes just help organise and make things make, make things happen. So it's a, that kind of cumulative effect that it's not just about the money, it's about the people and it's about just being, being involved and being active. And then from the customer side, a social mission may get you in the door, but it's not going to get you a sale, right? You still have to deliver value. And so how do you think about your social mission as part of your sales pitch, as part of your value proposition to your customer organization? Look, from a messaging point of view, it's something I still don't get right. I'll be honest, it's something I really struggle with is talking about the what we do, the why we do it, the how we do it. From a business point of view, though, you're 100% right. Having a social mission might get you a seat at the table, but it doesn't actually get you fed. I've learned the hard way that businesses love a good social mission, but ultimately they love profits more and I can't expect more of them than, you know, than that. So we need to make sure that the product we're offering actually delivers value. So it took about two years worth of development for us to build the processes that were tight enough that could deliver on the outcomes the, the way we wanted to. So we had to get really good with our project management set up and our task management and our training and and everything that kind of went into being able to deliver that product and where we measure the success so you know for every client that we work with we want to deliver them a minimum of three times roi so if they spend a thousand dollars a month we want to give them at least three thousand dollars 
And so we need to measure that outcome and that success and a progress towards that outcome, you know, on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. So it's that balance of understanding the, you know, our, the Filipino and the Thai culture and understanding what's important to them and how they think, but also understanding what's important to Western businesses and making sure we've got the systems to connect the two, that, that ultimately the, the money they're spending with us and the jobs that we're creating through them is actually contributing towards their bottom line and contributing towards their, you know, their business goals. Because if we do that, they stay with us for a lot longer. If the way you're helping is by employing folks, is there a difference between contracting with you versus contracting with other vendors who may also be running centers in in Thailand and the Philippines? Is all investment with contractors that have offshore centers a form of social investment? Or is the work that you do different in some critical way? On the surface, all investment in, in, the, in the foreign infrastructure and outsourcing is, is making, making some impact. I'd like to think what we do as a business is different from a lot of the, a lot of the other businesses from a couple of key, key reasons. First of all, the, the, so the Filipino and the, the Thai culture is very much they're being taught what to think, not how to think. I like to think that through our systems and the, the the way we go about building campaigns and managing campaigns and managing teams, we give our team the insights to think what to think, but also how to think and how to make those decisions based on outcome, not activity. And then I think the culture that we create within our team, it's a lot happier workplace to be in. It's a lot more fun. It's a lot more productive. So I like to think we do things better than most, but anything that's kind of putting money in and creating jobs is still a good thing and 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 actually impacting towards you know to, towards the problems that I'm looking to solve. That's great. Now, I know we're coming up to the end of our time together, but before we go, what is one thing that our listeners can do to start to move the needle on the social issues that resonate with them? Just become curious, you know, because we don't know the answers if there's if there's a problem going on and a problem that we want to solve it's just been curious and just been open to finding and uncovering a solution that 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 could make an impact and the the more you start being curious and the more you start investigating and and opening there the more opportunities and the more sort of bridges that 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 sort of appear and the the solution might not be what you think but the you know the the, the solution is going to ultimately help so it just starts with that curiosity I love that. Yeah, I think it's a theme that we see come up a lot in change. Anytime you're trying to change something, the first thing to know is you probably don't have the answer yet. Totally. Just keep asking questions because there's always more to know in this space. And the more you know, the better your answers will be. It, it's exactly. Well, thank you, Matt. I know I've learned a lot today and I'm sure our listeners have as well. Now, if our one listeners want to connect with you directly or learn more about your business, how should they go about doing that? Well, there's two ways. So if you wanted to connect with me personally, the best way to find me is on LinkedIn. And you can just look up Matthew and that's Matthew spelled with one T, Boyle, and you'll be able to see us and find us on LinkedIn. We're fairly active. If you were curious to sort of un- understand some of the possibilities of how you can use outsourcing and automation to increase your sales and generate more leads and, and save time, I've put together a, um, a bit of a scorecard and a report, which you can view at um, www.thesalesgrowthscorecard and that will take you through a simple process of just asking you a few questions about your business about your, your, your opportunities and it'll actually give you some recommendations of how can you actually generate more leads improve your sales conversions while at the same time 
reducing some of your costs to increase your margin and benefiting from from sort of you know using outsourcing perfect and we will be sure to include those links in the show notes i really appreciate your time and your perspective here hopefully our listeners can take your advice and apply it to their own social passions now if any of our listeners would like to bring these kinds of conversations to their own organizations please visit us at blueswiftconsulting.com to schedule a quick intro call thanks again matt thanks for having me